All right. Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome those on the South Shore, Gulf Coast. Every week, I always love welcoming those online, Facebook Live, all the men and women in the Orleans Justice Center, St. Tammany Parish Jail. Hey, I also want to welcome all those that are joining us in North Carolina from Mana Church. So we're so excited to have them. Come on. Let's just welcome all those with us. So excited to have you guys. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving. We have got a special treat this morning. Uh, we've got my pastor. You know, I have two pastors. How many know I need a lot of help? Pastor Jacob Aranza is one of my pastors, but also Pastor Jim LaFoon. Every year, yes, we love Pastor Jim. Every year, we have our annual board meeting uh, right after, on Monday, Monday, tomorrow morning. And so uh, Pastor Jim comes in the weekend after Thanksgiving. And for those of you that don't know, Pastor Jim's been with us literally from the beginning, a pastor for many, many years, author, teacher, aerobics instructor. Yes, thank you. I mean, just, I mean, but listen, he's, he's more than all those things. He's been a spiritual dad to Jennifer and I and a pastor uh, to us, and he's been with us literally from the beginning. Why don't we just stand up? Let's warmly welcome Pastor Jim LaFood all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. Can we give God a great hand this morning also? Just so worthy. I know for you in Louisiana, it's been kind of an unusual sports week. God be praised for the saints. God help us, we were robbed with LSU and God thankful for Tulane. So anyway, how many of you are glad that your joy is on eternal things ultimately? Okay. Let's pray. Father, I'm just so thankful for Church of the King. I'm so thankful, Lord, for uh, this time of year. We celebrate the greatest gift ever given this planet, your son. Lord, as we turn, yes, more toward family coming out of Thanksgiving into Christmas, friends who we want to see touched, we're just grateful for the birth of your son, his life and sacrifice, death, resurrection. This morning, as we talk about one of the most profound promises in all of Scripture. Help us. Amen. I'm going to entitle this message, Peace on Earth, a Promise Beyond Comprehension. When you go into the Luke account of the angelic announcement of the birth of Christ to Mary, I can hardly imagine it. It's dark, it's cool, and all of a sudden, Angels are appearing to these shepherds in the field and giving them this incredible promise that a baby's been born. It's the Messiah, and they'll find him basically in a trough where animals feed. And all of a sudden, in front of them, the heavens just explode with angels and singing. And as they're singing, part of what they're singing makes sense. The other part you have to ponder is almost beyond comprehension. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and here's the promise, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. What does that promise mean? No matter where you find yourself on this earth, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, God says, my peace is actively in the lives of those my favor rests on, those I've touched, those who've called on me. How can this be? Let's think for a moment about 
the context of this promise. They were in Judah, what was left of the nation of Israel, basically one tribe. In 63 BC, Pompey had come down and besieged Jerusalem, conquered it, subjugated the nation, and even stepped into the Holy of Holies and defiled it, broke the heart of the nation. He must have been afraid because the next day he ordered it re-cleansed. He established 10 Romanized cities on the other side of the Sea of Galilee called the Decapolis, filled with empire, emperor worship and every type of idolatry. It was a broken nation. In 70 AD, only a few decades later, Jerusalem would be destroyed, besieged, destroyed, its population killed, enslaved, the nation shattered. Later in 132 AD, when the Jews revolted, Rome would forbid them to even enter Jerusalem. It was a nation groveling under the mailed fist of Roman might. How could there be peace there? How could there be peace in a nation that had lost its freedom, whose skyline would be dotted with the crucifixion of those who dared to defy Rome? How about the shepherds themselves? They were on the bottom rung socioeconomically. There was no lower class of people. They were considered liars and thieves and were forbidden to even testify at a trial. How could the angels promise them peace? How living in a shattered nation who'd experienced the pain of ethnic cleansing, forcible deportment, how? How could these men with no hope of economic advancement, with really nothing to go home to, with poverty and hate and pain, how could these angels promise them peace? Is peace possible for you? No matter what your economic status today, we all know anxiety abounds. Fear abounds. Is peace possible when you're facing a health challenge, pain with your spouse, child that's broken your heart, fears that buzz in your head like insects and make no sense, insomnia that doesn't go away, your mind just won't stop no matter what you take or drink? What's the answer to that? Let me explain this to you. Let's talk about this piece. When we think about the Holy Spirit, who the Father sent to the earth when Jesus ascended to his right hand, third person of the Trinity, we normally think about his power, his majesty, and these great miraculous things we read about in the Bible, and we forget his fruit. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, the fruit of the Spirit, or what the Spirit produces, is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. What that means is the Holy Spirit has the ability to produce this fruit. And we'll talk about one, peace in you, no matter what your circumstance. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what you're going through. Are you telling me, Pastor Jim, that I can walk out of this door peaceful even though my circumstance is not changed? Are you telling me that by the time this service is 
over, there'll be a new level of peace and security in my soul, even though I'm facing a terrible pain in my marriage or my family or my business. Yes, I am. Let me give you an example of that from my own life, and I could pick many. I know I look 24. It's not true. I'm 64. Good living, you can look like this also. Sorry, I don't want to scare you. And so 40 years married. I've been a Christian since I was eight years old. I've faced death, lived in crazy places, liver destroyed, wives had cancer twice, fought for children who were dying, heard the big cancer word, had doctors tell me my health was gone. What's the secret to peace? I'll never forget, as younger, we just had our fourth child, so I must have been uh, 39, and my wife had had thyroid cancer, and they were treating it. Uh, she had a stroke, couldn't recognize us, and they said, Mr. LaFoon, it looks like your wife's cancer's uh, spread to her brain. Go home, get a good night's sleep. He was obviously not hired for his bedside manner. Go home, get a good night's sleep, and see your children. Four small children at home, and I'm driving down the road into the fog back to the medical center. Beloved, anxiety would have been a mild word. But all of a sudden, as I begin to pray, peace began to flood up from the depth of my being, and anxiety became impossible. I couldn't be afraid. And I tried to pray, and I felt the Holy Spirit like, tell me, don't pray. I thought, okay, that must be terminal. He said, don't pray. She's fine. Now, that tricks you sometimes because you want it to be so, but the peace of God began to flood me. And the next one, the doctor said, she's fine. Whether the cancer never spread or she was healed is immaterial. This was what was real, the peace. Now, how's it happen? How do you find peace when you're fighting for a child to live? How do you find peace when people are being killed in front of your house in a war zone and you're facing kidnapping? How do you, how do you find peace? I want to talk about that under three headings. I'm talk about what inspires peace in you, why is it important, and how do you implement it? How do you implement some practices today that will begin to guard your soul with peace? Uh, there are a number of ways that Peace, and normally they work in tandem. One is pain, the other are the promises of God. You get in a situation where you find yourself driven by anxiety. And here's the problem, medical science. We know from medical science that one third, from one-third to the two-thirds of the population that suffer with anxiety, it's genetics involved. It's not just bad modeling. Now, when you say genetics, are we talking about genetics or epigenetics? Genetic DNA strand, epigenetics, how your genetic read reality, probably epigenetics. But that means passed down through your family, your parents, your grandparents, etc., have responded so long to stress in certain ways, it affects now how you respond. And you find you have a propensity and you wonder, my mama was a warrior, my grandmother was a warrior, is there any hope for me? Yes, there is. And here are the promises of Scripture. Isaiah 9, 6 says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's a Prince of Peace. He can bring peace wherever you are. It says in Isaiah 26.3, I love this. You'll keep in perfect peace, I'll describe that later, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. 
a perfect peace. John 14, 27 may be my favorite promise. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. What is Jesus saying? I've got a peace that does not operate like the world's. I have a peace for you that's not based on peaceful circumstances. It's not based on getting the good news from the doctor. It's not based on oil prices. It's not based on how your child responds in finals. It's not based on what happens with your parents. No, no, my peace doesn't work like the world's works, and because of that, you don't have to be troubled and afraid. And what does that mean? That means this peace that he calls my peace is very specific. Divine peace is not dictated by your circumstances. Divine peace is not dictated by epigenetics. Divine peace, in fact, is counterintuitive because it's God's peace flowing in you. Yes, it affects you neurobiologically. Yes, it affects you psychologically. But it's the very peace of God. And the Bible says it transcends your understanding. In other words, how could I be peaceful right now? How could I be calm right now? It doesn't make sense. Speaks of this peace in Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, which you can't figure out. The peace of God, which you can't understand how you got, literally guards your heart. It guards your mind. And we'll talk about what it guards him from in a moment. If this is the case, and it is, if there's a peace, and we're always thinking about peace and joy around Christmas time, if there's a peace that operates completely different than what humans call peace, how do we get it? Like, why is it important? What's it protecting you from? Face it, in a world filled with pain, despair, uncertainty, death, it's impossible to find true, lasting peace outside of Christ and his promises. He said this, I've told you these things. I'm in John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, what has Jesus been talking about? Well, in John 15, he also began to talk about abiding in me, staying close to me, being filled with life. It'll bring you joy. He talks about the Holy Spirit in John 16. So what's he saying? I've been telling you to stay close to me. I've been telling you about the Holy Spirit so you can have my peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. How many of you know that's fulfilled? But take heart, I've overcome the world. So... He says, in me you can have peace. Now, why is it important? Mark 4, 7 through 19 says, spiritually, other seeds fell upon the thorns which grew up and choked the plant. So they did not bear grain, but the worries of this life. Let's start right there. Worry and anxiety choke things in you. They choke your life. They choke your joy. They choke your peace. They choke your ability to enjoy your family. They choke your ability to trust your children as they grow up. You watch children who've been abandoned and broken. I mean, I've watched them. Their spouse steps out the door and they're 15 minutes late. They're scared to death. Their pulse is pounding. What's happened to him? What's happened to her? Psychologically and neurobiologically, the effects of stress and anxiety on humans can't be minimized. Psychologically, when the body prepares for stress, through what you call the fight or flight response, 
which is wonderful if you're gonna get run over and you're jumping all the way out of a car or you need a moment just to get some extra speed and run away from something that's chasing you. But when you live that way, what happens? Well, as you mobilize massive amounts of energy, you inhibit your digestion, your growth, you mess up your immune response, you drain your adrenal glands. And so when we live under stress, and I'm not gonna go into detail here, you can read about it for yourself, it affects every part of our body. Immune system, cellular growth, appetite, sleep, heart rate. I know what it is to be so stressed in crisis, I can't feel my lips, my breathing gets affected, my feet go numb, and I handle crises all over the world. It can take me from the Syrian border to dealing with crazy things around the world. I'll never forget a couple, two or three years ago on Father's Day, I was in the middle of all kinds of crises. I had no answer. I was so stressed, I thought, maybe I'm having a medicine reaction. I was losing my ability to swallow, and I wonder, I'm gonna be able to breathe. My daughter rushed me to the emergency room. I was sitting in there, and just like God, he goes, what are you doing here? I go, Lord, I can't feel my lips. My feet are really numb. I'm worried about breathing. He goes, it's just stress. Go home. In the minute he said that, I kind of felt better, to be honest. So I stood up. I invited all the nurses to church and went home. (laughs) And when I got home and began to articulate my stresses to God and began to worship, all my symptoms were gone by morning. Now, how'd that happen? What do we learn from that? And we're we're talking today about anxiety and stress. We're not talking about some of the the, the strange fears that can paralyze us. And when we get in front of people, literally our throat tightens up or some trauma. But what is the answer to that? How can you experience this peace? How do we have peace with those deaths, there's no answer for How do we have peace in the face of someone we're loving, we love deteriorating? How do we handle those things? Let me talk to you about that, and I want to basically take you through a four-step process, if I may use that, four principles that will help you. Isaiah 26.3, and I'm going to start by talking about laying a biblical foundation. Isaiah 26.3 says this, you, speaking of God, will keep in perfect peace. And perfect peace in the Hebrew is a double shalom. It's not talking, beloved, about the absence of conflict. The absence of conflict is heaven. It's not talking about a stress-free life. It's saying you'll keep in perfect peace, peace, peace. In other words, not the absence of conflict, but it's a state of well-being. A state of well-being. God says, you're gonna have my perfect peace no matter what you're experiencing, you'll have my perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast. In the Hebrew, the word steadfast means to be fastened to something or founded on something or resting on something. In this case, that something is God's word and his incredible promises. What is God saying? If your mind is fastened to me through my word. If, if what's going on in your mind, your self-talk is anchored not in your circumstance, but in my word, you're gonna have peace no matter what. Let's go a little deeper. Because they trust in you. 
If our ultimate reliance is on anything other than God himself, the promise of peace is hard to experience. It says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, if you don't believe God cares for you, it's hard to trust your anxiety, but as you walk with him, as I have decade after decade, year after year, week after week, it becomes easier and easier to experience reality if I can trust you. When I come into anxiety, my response after decades of following him is to turn to him and I'll tell you why. Now, Philippians 4, 6 through 9 probably gives us the most powerful reality of dealing with anxiety. Here's what it says. In Philippians 4, 6 through 9, it says, basically, um, don't be anxious about anything, but instead, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, what is Paul saying here? Let me just boil it down for you. Paul is saying this, instead of worrying about your anxieties, I want you to worship over your anxieties. Let me say that again. Paul is saying, instead of worry, worship. Now we know from neuroscience, there is a principle. When there's a neural pattern, which is, comes through how you've practiced, how you've handled things over years, it's developed. Neurons that wire together, fire together. When there's a neural pattern, you never totally eradicate it, but you do prune it until it's basically disempowered by building another neural pattern. Paul's saying, don't just stop worrying, worship. Now, why would Paul tell you to worship when you're stressed? That's counterintuitive. When I'm anxious, I call it prayer, but I'm really griping to God about my stresses. What are you gonna do? When are you gonna help me? What do I think? So Paul says, instead of worry, worship. Now, Paul's command to present our anxieties to God with prayer and thanksgiving is critical because of its spiritual, neurobiological, and psychological effects. Let me talk about those. First, when I am coming back from the hospital and I begin to present to God in prayer everything I'm anxious about, now I don't just tell him, I begin to pray, I begin to present, and all of a sudden I begin to thank him for helping me, thank them. As I, what's happened is, is I've gone from worry to worship, which is one of the spiritual disciplines, and when I come before God in worship, what happens? All of a sudden, the peace of God, the life of God, the grace of God are flowing into me through my new nature. So the moment you begin to worship, the moment you begin to praise, and the Bible talks about drinking, feeding, abiding, this happens in the spiritual disciplines, the moment you begin to worship, the moment you begin to praise, the life of God, the peace of God begins to flow into you. That's spiritual. Let's talk for a minute about neurobiological realities. When you begin to worship, when you begin to praise him, when you begin to come into my, his presence and feel his love, all of a sudden at the neurobiological level, you begin to be showered with positive neurochemicals. You begin to, things like oxytocin, prolactin, endorphins, dopamine, all of a sudden, because when you feel loved by God, when you begin to feel his presence, just as if I'm sitting with Pastor Steve, 
We've been friends years. He's like a son to me. When I put my hand on his shoulder, in five seconds, his oxytocin level is changes. He feels more secure. So when God puts his hand on you and you worship the same neurochemicals that you're showered with, that when you come into the presence of someone you trust, it's magnified with God. And all of a sudden, you're feeling better. You have all these warm feelings. All of a sudden, you feel more secure. What's happening? Psychologically, these neurochemicals create all these warm feelings, all these feelings of security. And what happens? Anxiety begins to leave, and it's replaced by security. So when Paul tells you, don't worry over your anxieties, worship over your anxieties, it's not just spiritual. It's neurobiological, and it's psychological. My friend, Dr. Ward Davis, who's a professor of psychology at Wheaton, just did an internationally peer-reviewed paper, and he says this, as you begin to practice the principle, this is my language, of not worrying but worshiping over these things, and as you begin to be showered by all these neurotransmitters and chemicals as you come into the presence of God, what happens is you begin to form new neural patterns. Why? Because when I stop worrying and stop worshiping, and I begin to feel the presence of God, what happens is the next time I worry, because I was rewarded through worshiping, there's gonna be something in me almost involuntarily that wants to worship, that just wants to praise him, that just wants to come into his presence. I don't know about you, but I love, I love chocolate chip cookies. And when I get real, real stressed, there's something about a chocolate chip cookie I want. I have to confess I want it more than an apple. Well, why is that? It's not just all the healthy foods like fat and sugar. It's the fact that I have years of association with chocolate chip cookies. My mama baking them, eating them. My first word as a child was not mama, it was cookie, sorry to say it. And so I just have years of association with cookies. Well, now as a believer, I have years of association with worship. So when I am stressed, when I am in pain, there's almost an involuntary response. I'm gonna lift my hands and thank him. I'm going to come into his presence. And every time I do, I'm rewarded by neurotransmitters. And as I'm rewarded by neurotransmitters, it affects me psychologically. Building a whole new way of handling anxiety. Now let's go a little deeper here. This is what's extraordinary. It says when you worship through your anxieties instead of worrying through your anxieties, or whether instead of worrying in the midst of your anxieties, you worship in the midst of your anxieties, what happens? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means, although you're still facing cancer, although you're still facing some terrible thing in your business, your child still hasn't come home, your spouse is still hurting, you still can't figure out this conundrum, all of a sudden, you're flooded with a peace that doesn't make sense. Now, what does it guard you from? All the negative results of stress. It guards your adrenal glands. It guards your heart rate. It guards the things that have bombarded you. It makes sleep possible where you've been facing insomnia. Why? Yes, it's spiritual but it's also neural and psychological. 
Beloved, here's what I've learned. I can have peace no matter what I face. Tell a story I don't normally tell. I was in the Middle East in a very dangerous place. And I was meeting with a couple who'd grown up Muslim in a very fierce Muslim country and had turned to Christ and had discipled many, many people. And I was taken there with a translator because they just received a picture from ISIS of their son who'd been tortured to death for his faith. And I went to see them. It was the second son they had lost. One had been killed in artillery fire when they were escaping their home. And I began to communicate through the translator with this man. I said, how are you doing? He said, I was very sad when I got this picture. He said, and he was illiterate, by the way, couldn't read, wife could. He said, but I dreamed the other night. I had the strangest dream. I said, what'd you dream about? He said, I saw Jesus. He was on his throne. And there were all these thousands of people in white robes. He didn't know that was the martyrs of Revelation. And I looked, and there was my son, and he was smiling, and he was so happy. And when I saw him, I was happy too. It made him worship. It made him thankful. Son was still dead terribly. But that hope of resurrection, that thought of Christ, as he began to be thankful, it changed something. Let the peace of God rule, guard your heart and mind. Last, I want to talk about labor. Labor to build new patterns of dealing with stress and anxiety through faithfully practicing the principles found in Philippians 4, 6 to 9. Pastor Stephen and I talked after the service about something he'd said. It says in Hebrews 4, 11, labor to come into rest, labor to come into peace. How many of you, that just sounds like, kind of like, that's counterintuitive. How do you labor to rest? I think we find that in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things, meditate on these things, ponder these things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What is Paul saying? When you stop listening to my letter or reading my letter, if you'll put into practice what you've just heard, if you'll be willing to labor to change the way you think, labor to respond differently to your stress, the God of peace will be with you. What's that mean? You'll feel his peace. So now I'm gonna pray for you in a moment and Pastor Steve will be joining me but that means when you get home and you're going to bed tonight and all these stresses are still on your mind, you're gonna lift your hands and you're gonna articulate to the Lord just how you feel about them, just what you're going through. Lord, my son, my daughter, my spouse, my help. But Lord, I thank you that you can take them. I thank you that you're God over them. I thank you that all things work together for good. Lord, I thank you that you can give me peace. And as you begin to thank him, and you lift your hands and you say, Lord, I've given you my anxieties as I worship you. Give me your peace. And what you're going to discover is as you come into God's presence and the life of God touches you, as you're showered with neurotransmitters, as a state of well-being comes even though nothing's changed in your circumstance, you've been changed. Guard you. 
touches you, helps you. This is not theory to me. It's not merely science to me. It's reality. I'm not talking about being in shock in the middle of crisis. I'm talking about the guarding peace of God. This is a way of life to me. It's, for lack of a better word, it's almost automatic for me now. I've practiced it so long. Steve joined me. I know it's counterintuitive. If I had the time, I'd talk to you about just the pain of my own life, people I've buried, sicknesses my wife's experienced, watching a son who'd played college football shrivel to 107 pounds with a disease they couldn't diagnose. But his peace is real. His promise is for you. You say, Pastor Jim, I need some peace this morning. Raise your hand. If your hands are up, it's most of you. Just please stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you. Put your hand up. Stand up. Let's pray. We're going to ask God's peace to touch you this morning. I don't come before you this morning as a pastor. I come before you as a human. God's never failed me. I've known him since I was eight. I've had the doctors tell me, you're done. You've destroyed your health. Quit all work for two years. Had my liver destroyed. His peace never failed me. This world is filled with trouble. God says you can stay untroubled. Let's pray right now. And you can pray in your heart or out loud. Holy Spirit, Jesus, articulate your stresses to him right now. Specifically say, Lord, I'm laying these stresses on your shoulders. He didn't just promise to take your burdens. He also promises you in Psalms to give you the strength to walk with them and be peaceful. Say, this, this is, Lord, it's my family, it's my spouse, whatever, tell him. Now I want you, can I open your, hand, your palms like this to the Lord? Say, Holy Spirit, here you go. Here are my stresses. Here are my anxieties. They're wrecking me, Lord. Now I begin to thank him. Thank you for taking them. Thank you for taking them. Take a deep breath. Thank you for taking them. Begin to worship him in your own way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for taking worship you, Jesus. May as you do say, Jesus, Jesus, I've given you my burdens. Give you my burdens. Flood me with this guarding peace. For some of you, you'll feel the whisper of his promise. Yes. Others, you'll just feel more of his presence coming on you. We're transacting something today. Yes. Instead of worrying, we're worshiping. Now, Lord, I thank you for these people. Yes, Holy Spirit. Let's take a deep breath together. We breathe in your peace, Lord. No matter what they're facing, health, finance, family, business, career. Lord, those who just have a genetic disposition this way, that stress was responded to in a certain way so long in their family line, is just how their DNA reads it. Jesus, as they practice these new patterns, alter that. Not just for them, but for their posterity as well. 
alter that. But we're not prisoners of anything in you. Touch them, Lord. Touch them, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Jim. I want to just say one more thing, and then I'm going to have our altar team to come down. Pastor Jim and I talked last night about, I want, I want you to just hear me at all of our campuses, labor to enter. Can you all say that? Say, labor, labor to, to enter. enter. So in other words, the promise is peace. Our part is to position ourselves. Why do we forget this? We all do, right? So in other words, practically, you're in your car, you're stressed about whatever, Let's put it on a worship station. Let's worship. Everybody say worship. Worship. So that's your labor. That's your part. Does that make sense? That's your part. That's your part. So we have to do a part. It didn't, God didn't just zap us out of the blue. It's like, where did God? So we're opening our, the Bible says, call upon the Lord and he shall answer you, right? Believe and you shall be saved. So draw near to God and he does what? He draw near to you. Draw, so my labor is when I make a decision. Everybody say decision. So I'm making a decision in the morning when I wake up. By the way, I'm going to teach part two on this next week. The, I got this title, Holidays, and I, because I know the holidays are wonderful times, wonderful, warm times, but they can also be stressful times. Isn't that right, Pastor? Yes. So we've got, to, we've got to become proficient in learning how to labor to enter into this rest. To enter it, because I don't want to live with anxiety. I don't want to live. I've lived for years with that, man, but I'm getting stronger. I'm learning how to switch quick. No, I'm late. Okay, I'm going to enter in. Lord, I worship you one more time. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We make a decision right now to turn aside from worry and to focus on you and your person and to worship you. Lord, when we wake up in the morning, as thoughts through the day flood us, as all the cares, we, learn, we make a decision to push those aside and to focus on you. Throughout the day, Lord, when we're in our car, maybe in our office, Lord, we'll, we'll just take a moment, just pause. We'll put on a little worship music and we're going to focus. We'll open the scripture and we're going to put our mind upon you. We're going to draw near to you. We're going to turn we're going to turn our worry into worship. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. Lord, you've not called us to be tormented. You've not called us to live racked in our bodies with anxieties and fears, but to be filled with the presence and the peace of Jesus. Lord, I bless your people, Lord, as they go forth this day. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for that word from Pastor Jim. Lord, we speak blessing over your people as they go forth this day. In the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said?